All right, we are in Luke chapter 2, if you will open your Bibles there. Luke chapter 2, we're continuing this morning in uh, our series through Luke. We've entitled the series, Blessed Assurance, and we're looking at the assurance that we have of our faith uh, and uh, the, the things that God makes abundantly clear in His Word, how he, he is reliable and His Word is true. And for the last several weeks, we've been looking at parallel stories of God's faithfulness. Uh, we looked at His faithfulness to an old couple named Zacharias and Elizabeth to give them the son that they desperately prayed for for years and years. And in their old age, God answered that prayer, gave them a son who we know as John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah. And this is what we've been looking at. I started looking at last week. We'll look at it again today. His faithfulness to all of mankind to give us the Son that we desperately need, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And here on Christmas Eve, we are right on time going through uh, this book as today we come to the uh, birth of Jesus. And... Uh, Matthew's gospel tells us that Jesus' name is the hope of the world, and certainly it is. We're going to look at the reason uh, for that today as our our title of the message today, Wrapped in Wonder, our theme for Christmas, Wrapped in Wonder. Here we are, Luke 2, verse 1, and it came to pass, in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, this census first took place while Uh, Quirinus was governing Syria. And so uh, starts off here looking at Caesar uh, Augustus, right? And this is a guy who was born by the name of Octavian. And uh, his grandmother was the sister of Julius Caesar. And Julius Caesar uh, adopted Octavian as uh, his son, and he made him his official heir in 45 B.C. A year after this, um, Octavian would ultimately become the ruler of Rome after Julius Caesar was murdered. And you know, so often we, we go through the Bible and we read the different accounts in, in the Gospels and so on of what transpired And we as Christians, we understand this to be history, but many will read through this and they think of of the the things of the Bible as kind of more mythology. Um, But but no, we we read here, we're looking at Julius Caesar and we're looking at, um, you know, this this guy who, um, you know, his grandmother uh, or the grandmother of Octavian was Julius Caesar's uh, sister and how he adopted him as his son, which is a matter of history. And so it's not some mythological tale. This is actual events, actual history. And after uh, Julius Caesar was murdered, after Octavian became the ruler of Rome, several years transpired, and then about 27 BC, Octavian persuaded the Roman Senate to give to him the title of Augustus. Uh, And Augustus means exalted one. And so often, you know, the Roman government, we, our own government system, the Western uh, world's government systems are based a lot in the, on Roman precepts, Roman government precepts. And so this concept of law and this concept of uh, ruling, uh, voting, 
kind of party of people, not having an emperor or a dictator, but, but having more of a governmental system. But, man, this guy amassed power. And so now he gets the Senate to give to him the title of Augustus, and we're going to see his power increasing and increasing and increasing, and he becomes really more of a dictator. David Guzik, in his commentary, speaking of this, he says, this says something important about the world that Jesus was born into. It was a world hungry for a Savior, (coughs) living in the reign of a political Savior, Caesar Augustus. And in a way, it's not unlike the world that we live in today. In the sense that our, our world longs for some sort of a, of a political leader who's going to rise up and be you know, the savior of the world and bring order and leadership and all. And, and really the world is primed for this. We know biblically that in the end days this is going to happen. Some world leader is going to rise up and everybody is going to herald him as being the, the savior of mankind. Um, not in a messianic way, but in like a messianic way where they're just desperate for someone to, to, to lead them. And our world is starving for that. And so here we've got Caesar Augustus now. He's immensely powerful. In fact, he's so powerful that in these first two verses, what we see is that he's able to compel the whole world to submit to this registration that they, they have to do. Now, this would be no small task. It's not like today. You know, if you're a member of the armed forces and you deploy and you're overseas and we have an election, you know, you can vote wherever you're at and get that vote in and so on. Obviously, technologically, they couldn't do that. And so what they want, they want everybody to be registered. And that requires that you have to go to, your, to the place where you were born, your hometown. For some people, they never leave their hometown, so that's not a problem. But we'll see in our text today, for Joseph and Mary, they'd moved 100 miles from Bethlehem, which was Joseph's hometown. And so (coughs) created a problem for them. They would have to make this this journey, this trek of 100 miles. She and her her last month of pregnancy having to travel uh, during that time. And and so this is no small task um, and, uh, and just shows us the power that this man had, that he could upset the world in this way, and everybody would have to just obey him on that whim of gathering the census data. Now, it's just not about counting the people. There's a purpose for why he wants everybody counted, and the reason he wants everybody counted is because he wants everybody taxed. He wants their do-re-mi, so he wants to get paid. And, And so Christmas, the story, well, begins with an all too familiar scene. You've, you've got earthly kings and you've got politicians. They're enacting burdensome policies and they're raising taxes, right? Ronald Reagan said, the two most frightening things anybody can ever say to you is, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. And, and so, so this is the world that's going down, you know, the, 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 the state of the world. And again, it's not unlike the state of our world today. You, you know, you've got people looking to a government system and to a political savior to save them. And... <clears throat> they're looking to tax policies that are, you know, going to solve their problems and so on. And again, not unlike the world today as well, you've got people who aren't happy with the governmental system. This will factor in in the sequel to the book of Luke in the book of Acts where you start seeing how their, their disgruntled uh, nature and this, their attitudes towards the Roman occupation are influencing their desire for a Messiah that's going to set them free from that and so on. And so, we continue, verse 3. 
It says, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, uh, to, uh, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he is of the house and the lineage of David, uh, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was, while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. Verse 7, and she brought forth her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord showed round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Good will toward men. Every time I read that verse in particular, peace on earth, good will towards men, in my mind I go back to that Christmas carol. The, the, it's, the Christmas carol is entitled, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And it's not that f- familiar. We don't sing it as much today. But when I was younger, you know, you would hear it all the time. And this has got the familiar refrain in this, in this Christmas carol. I heard the bell on Christmas Day, the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And there's actually a fascinating story behind this. It comes from a poem that a guy named Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote in 1864. He wrote it on Christmas Day, and he wrote it, after he'd been through just a bad set of circumstances, really had a really rough three years leading up to the day that he would write uh, this poem. Um, First of all, three years prior to this, 1861, it was just the outbreak of the Civil War and his wife Fanny was killed in a fire. And he was devastated at her death. And in his Christmas journal entry that year, he wrote this. He said, how inexpressibly sad are the holidays. And this is familiar, sadly, to some of us here today. We get into the holidays, and they, because of circumstance and situation, the holidays can be inexpressibly sad. I know for for my wife, on uh, Thanksgiving a, a few years ago, on Thanksgiving Day, she lost her mom. And, and so the holidays for her, for several years, were, were difficult for her to to negotiate through. They just were inexpressibly sad for the loss and for the mourning. Some of you, this morning, you can identify with that. Maybe even this morning you come in and it's difficult for you to enter into the joy of the Lord with the sorrow that you carry. And certainly the Lord knows that. He sees that. He cares for you. He will comfort you. Uh, in, in your sorrow. And this, this man, Henry uh, Wadsworth Longfellow, certainly um, could identify. And so he writes in his Chris, Christmas journal entry in 1861 how inexpressibly sad are the holidays. 
This is followed by a long silence. There's nothing written in his journal for many months <clears throat> until finally there is this, this is the next entry many months after that December, uh, how inexpressibly sad are the holidays uh, entry. He says this after several months, I can make no record of these days. Better leave them wrapped in silence. Perhaps someday God will give me peace. And so that's the state of his heart and in his mind but by the following Christmas in 1862, he's no better off, and now he makes his third entry. And in Christmas Day, 1862, he says, A Merry Christmas, say the children, but that is no more for me. So you're dealing with a man who's got a broken heart, and, is, and is, if things can't get worse for him in 1863, word comes to him that his son has been severely wounded, uh, he's a Union soldier, and he's severely wounded by a Confederate uh, soldier's bullet. And so this is the, the burden that now he's carrying. And in December 25th of that year, Christmas of 1863, he's got nothing written in his journal again. But on Christmas Day in 1864, something changed. And Christmas Day entry, 1864, he writes this poem, Christmas Bells. Let me read it for you. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. In music sweet, the tones repeat, there's peace on earth, goodwill to men. I thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth. Goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. For Christ is here, his spirit near brings peace on earth. Goodwill to men. When men repent and turn from sin, the Prince of Peace then enters in, and grace imparts their hearts within his peace on earth. Goodwill to men. O souls amid earth's busy strife, the word of God is light and life. O hear his voice, make him your choice. Hail, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then happy singing on your way. Your world will change from night to day. Your heart will feel the message real of peace on earth, goodwill to men. What on earth happened to change this man's heart? Because certainly he had no change in his circumstance. His circumstance had not changed. But yet he went from a heart and mind that he says was wrapped in silence to being wrapped in wonder. And yet nothing had changed in his life. How is that possible? Well, and again, in his own words, I direct you to the line that he writes, For Christ is here, his spirit near, brings peace on earth. Goodwill to men. See, here now in our text, this is the message that the angels bring to the shepherds. They say, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. There's three things I want to highlight for you as we camp out here in these verses, in verses 10 and 11. Three things that I want to highlight to you in these two verses. First of all, we see the reason for the gift. 
He says, there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, and therein lies the reason we need a Savior. We need a Savior. The reason for the gift is that you and I need a Savior. The Bible declares that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all sinners by nature and by choice. People say, sometimes you get a child psychologist who will argue and say, you know what, people are born basically good. Kids are born basically good. And they have to learn bad behavior. Now you test that theory out tomorrow on Christmas Day. When your two-year-old gets their toy and their sibling grabs their toy, will the experience be to where your two-year-old says, oh, here you go. Will it be that? Do you have to pull that two-year-old aside and say, no, 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 do not share. No, when they take your toy, you yank your toy back and you hit them over the head with it and you say, this is my toy, right? You don't have to teach them that. Why? Because they're little heathens, that's why. We are all sinners by nature and by choice. And, and so the, the fact is, Romans 3.23, all of sin falls short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. We have all sinned, and the Bible says <coughs> that for sinners, the wages is death. You know how wages work. You work all week, right? Get to payday, and you say, pay me. For what I did this week. I have earned a paycheck. And the Bible says what you've earned for the work that you've done is death. So on payday, it's like, okay, time for you to die. And for us, when we breathe our last, that's payday. Apart from Jesus Christ. But listen, the Bible says this. The Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says that God desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. The Bible says that he, God, gave himself, Jesus, as a ransom for all. <clears throat> because God loves you, he's given his son. That's what we celebrate on Christmas Day. This present wrapped in wonder. This babe wrapped in swaddling cloth. It is the gift of God that we might have eternal life. It's not because God is angry with you, that he wants to judge you, that you got to do good and try harder to be in a right standing with God. You know, some, some people think that. Some people relate to God in that way that, oh man, I can't, you know, go to church because, like, you know, everything that I've done like, I, I, would, I need to say some prayers, or I need to help an old lady across the street. I need to do something that, like, you know, butters God up. I can't just go to church. I mean, how many of you have had a loved one? Maybe you're the loved one that I'm about to talk about, but you've said, man, I don't know. If I ever went to church, there'd be a lightning bolt that struck down, right? We've all had that for, you know, uh, I don't know, man, I can't. Hey, listen, we all got a lightning bolt coming down in that regard. We've all sinned, right? And God doesn't relate to people on the terms of you got to earn a right standing with God. Sometimes we think that. Sometimes we feel like, oh, man, if I'm going to have a right standing with God, and the enemy doesn't help, by the way. Satan just is there 
He tempts you on the one side of the fence. Hey, you know, do, do that. Go on, go on. And then you do it, and now he jumps on the other side of the fence. He's like, oh, you, you, you call yourself a Christian? You can't go to God now. Look, look what you've done. And so we, we got to deal with this. And some people, they're, they're relating to God in terms of, man, I, I got to do something to earn God's love. Let me tell you, you can't. You can't do anything to earn God's love. Romans 8 says that God already loves you that much. Read through it. There's nothing, Romans 8 tells us, that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Neither height nor depth, nor death, principalities, powers, there ain't nothing that can separate you from God's love. God loves you, that's a fact. He loves you so much he gave Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sins. In fact, today, as we go through the message, and I will be given an opportunity at the end of the service today for you to respond to God's love, this gift that he's given. He has given this gift. All that's required is that you receive the gift that he's given to you. All that's required for you to be forgiven of your sin is just to freely accept. And a lot of times people are like, well, wait, you know, well, that's just too easy. Like for me just to receive this gift. I, I mean, I don't know that, that I can do that. Or sometimes people will respond to it and they'll say, well, I, I don't know that I can respond to it because I'm not so sure <coughs> that, that, I mean, if, if I pray to ask Jesus into my life, like then I'm going to have to start doing some stuff, right? I'm going to have to, I mean, it stands to reason. I can't be a hypocrite. So if I'm going to, and there's stuff that I like to do, and I don't want to give that up. So I'm, I don't know, man. I, maybe, you know, I'll just do the stuff I'm going to do. And then maybe when I'm older, you know, I can, then I can clean up my, my act, and, and then I can come to the Lord. Well, there's two problems with that. One is, you never know when the end's going to come. I mean, I was a paramedic for 10 years, paramedic of the fire department. And I can tell you plenty of people who thought that they had a tomorrow, and they didn't even have a, a minute from now. They didn't even have a second from now. For some people, just, you know, death comes unexpectedly. It's not like you can schedule it. So that's a problem with it. But here's the other problem. The other problem is, is that your relationship with God does not depend on your own works. It doesn't depend on your own strength, on your ability to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You're a sinner by nature and by choice. So the Bible says the, our best works the most holy, righteous work that we can do in our own strength, it's as filthy rags to God. The Bible says that. And, and so, and if I described for you literally what that filthy rags is, you would be nauseated to, to hear about that. So I won't talk about it. But at any rate, you, our, our works, our righteous works, don't get us anywhere. So for the person who says, well, you know, I don't want to pray to receive Christ because I'm, I'm afraid that like, I, I'll be a hypocrite and I can't really live it out. Now, listen, here's the deal. Jesus cleans his own fish, okay? So just let him get you in the boat. He'll clean you up. So there's no hypocrisy to say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I need to be forgiven. No hypocrisy in that. Say, okay, I, I want eternal life. I want the gift that you've given to me. I, wanted, I want to have God look at me as holy and righteous and pure, none of which I am and none of which I ever will be, but God, you come in, save me, 
then leave the changing up to him. Because the Bible says, whoever's in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. And so, man, just let God do the work. Just, just pray the prayer and say, all right, you're getting a, I'm getting the better end of this deal. Trust me, God. But I need a Savior. Just trust him with that. And so, man... This is what we have, this incredible thing, the reason for the gift. We need a Savior. We need a good Savior. Well, not only do we see the reason for the gift here, we see the result of the gift. He says, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. Listen, because of Jesus Christ, our Savior, we can have great joy. We can have this hope. He says, I bring you good tidings. In the original language, it's used to indicate a message that's intended to cheer the recipient. In other words, it's a message of hope. And the hope is this, that Jesus, our Savior, has come near to us. And this is the encouragement, by the way, that the angel Gabriel gave to Joseph when he appeared to Joseph in Matthew's gospel. Shows up to Joseph, says this, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And then he translates his name, Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. That is this good tidings. That is this incredible thing. The result is is great joy. Why? Because God is with us. The psalmist declares the Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. The Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I love this, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins. That word confess, it means to agree with God. And there's, there's a few application points to that. Agree with God. Starters, agree with God that what you're doing is sin. Sin means to miss the mark. God's mark is perfection. And sometimes what we do is we will label our sin to make it not so bad. We'll excuse away our sin and we'll say, well, you know, they made me mad. And that's why I did this. Or, you know, I've got reasons for this. Or, the, or you know, I'll put a medical term on what I'm struggling with, and I'll say, you know, I'm genetically predisposed to struggle with alcohol, and so, you know, this is what it is. If fill in the blank, whatever it happens to be. No, just let's confess what it is. It's sin. It's sin. Confessing your sin also means that you're confessing that your sin, the penalty for it, is death, that you deserve death for your sin. So you confess and say, I'm guilty as sin. There's a reason that's a phrase. I'm guilty as sin. And confession means that you also agree with God about what he's done to to be the propitiation for your sin. That Jesus Christ died on the cross to take away your sin. And so confession says, I'm guilty, you're blameless, you died for my sin, thank you Jesus, have mercy on me. And God says, I will. I'll have mercy on you. 
And so, in this angel's proclamation to the shepherds, we have the reason for the gift, we have the result of the gifts, which brings us to the recipient of the gift, right? What's he say there in verse 10? Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, all people. Who's the recipient of the gift? All people. That's you. That's me. Insert your name here. In fact, in the Greek, that word all, it's fascinating. Do you know what it means? All. All means all. That's all all means. It means any and every one, any and every kind, any and every variety. The Bible tells us in Matthew 12, 21, in his name, Jesus, will be the hope of all the world. On the day of Pentecost, the Apostle Peter, he was teaching, he said this, for this promise, the promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for sinners in our place, this promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And keep in mind who Peter is preaching this message to. He is talking to the very people who days before this, when Pontius Pilate came out with Jesus and said, hey, it's the custom to release a prisoner. And so I'll release one prisoner. You guys want me to release Jesus to you? Not, not crucify him? They say, no. Give us Barabbas. Barabbas, this insurrectionist, this one who's going to be killed because he's, he's opposing Rome. And, and they say, no, we want Barabbas. Release Barabbas to us. And Pontius Pilate says, well, what do you want me to do with Jesus? And it's this crowd who cried out, crucify him. Nail that guy to a cross. And they would mock Jesus as he hung on the cross for their sins. It was these people that Jesus would say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And Peter is saying, hey, the promise is to you who said, crucify him. The promise is to your children, to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Is the Lord calling you this morning? Because the promise is for you as well. Now notice with me now, there's a very curious thing that the angel goes on to tell the shepherd in verse 12. We've already read it, but what's he say there? He says, this will be the sign to you. You're going to find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. Now what's up with that? How is this a sign to these shepherds? Well, we've seen the reason for the gift, seen the result of the gift. We've seen the recipient of the gift. Here we have the route of the gift, the route of the gift. See, keep in mind that Bethlehem's shepherds were the ones that tended the flock for the temple. In other words, when the temple, when they would make sacrifices of the, the lamb offering, the sacrifice for sin, it was these Bethlehem shepherds that would raise up the lambs that were used. <coughs> now, the sacrificing of a lamb for sin, this goes back to the Exodus. You'll remember the Israelites, they're in bondage in Egypt, which is literal, but it's also metaphorical. It's a metaphoric picture of how we are in bondage to sin. And so God wants to set them free, just like he wants to set you free. And so God raises up Moses, tells Moses, go to Pharaoh, tell him to let my people go. So Moses goes to Pharaoh. Hey, God says, let his people go. And Pharaoh keeps saying no, keeps hardening his heart. And God is pouring out these different plagues on the nation of, of Egypt, 
uh, because they are, are saying, no, they're not going to let his people go. So he's, God is ratcheting up the plagues and finally gets to this point, Exodus 12, beginning in verse 3. God says to Moses, speak to the congregation of Israel, saying, on the 10th of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. He goes on to say, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or the, from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month, and then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Uh, continuing, he says, And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. In other words, getting ready to bail out in haste. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. God's saying, I'm about to set you free. You've got to be ready to go when I set you free. He says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. That's the key. I'm going to execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I'm going to pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Here's what God's saying. He's saying, I am going to judge. I am the righteous judge. I'm going to judge sin. And when I pour out my judgment, if you don't want me to judge you, the doorposts of your house, symbolically you, your life, needs to be covered with the blood of sacrificial offering, a lamb that will be offered. And so this is a picture of the coming Messiah. It's a picture in the Old Testament looking forward to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God is saying that when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, the blood of Christ covers us from our sin. This is the picture that is being painted here. This is why John the Baptist said when he looked upon Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, the Bible teaches that Jesus made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And that's what we're reading about here. Being born in humble estate, being wrapped in swaddling cloth and being laid in a manger, which is a feeding trough for animals. And this is that humble estate, being found in appearance as a man, <coughs> he humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, the whole reason he came, even the death of the cross. Jesus said this, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to do what? To give his life as a ransom for many, for you, for me, because we're all in bondage to sin. We've all been taken captive by the enemy to do his will. Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would be despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest of grief. He said this, he said, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him, on Jesus, the sin of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led, here it is, listen, like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Isaiah says, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And so the sign given to these shepherds 
is that they will find their Savior in a lamb's manger, in a feeding trough. These shepherds would know exactly what this was. Just as I take the newborn lamb, because this, this was the process, the lamb is born, and I need to protect this lamb from being injured. So what did they do? They would wrap that newborn lamb in swaddling cloth, and they would lay that lamb in a feeding trough. Why? So he didn't injure himself, so he didn't become blemished, so that he would be that perfect offering for the temple sacrifice. And so the angel says, this will be a sign for you. You're, you you'll be well familiar with this. The Messiah, the sacrifice for the sins of all mankind, the one who's been long awaited, he's here. He's born in Bethlehem, and you're going to find him swaddled in cloth, wrapped in wonder, lying in a manger. So the picture's obvious for them, and the picture's obvious for us. Well, now we're going to see the response to the gift, finally. We're going to see what these, what these shepherds do. Verse 15, so it was. When the angel had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph, and the babe lying in a manger. And now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying, which was told them concerning this child and all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds, but Mary kept all of these things and pondered them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. We see now the response to the gift, and here is a point of application for us. As we look at how they responded to the gift, and I want to exhort you how you're to respond to this gift of Jesus here on Christmas Eve. Number one, they came. They came. Listen, God loves you and has given his son. Are we on? There we are. God loves you, and he's given his son for you. But listen, you have to come to him. You have to come to him. He's not going to force himself on you. He's a gentleman. Jesus came. He lived. He died. Lived a sinless life. Died a substitutionary death. You need to respond. You need to receive this gift. You need to come to him. Secondly, they saw. The Bible says to taste and see that the Lord is good. And by coming by faith, What did they see? Their eyes were opened and they saw. I think of the man that Jesus healed in the New Testament. There's an account, this blind man, Jesus heals. Everybody's freaking out. All the religious leaders freaking out that he healed this man. And audacity, he healed him on the Sabbath day. Like he shouldn't have been doing any work. Why did he heal you? And so they start grilling this guy. And the guy says, look, I don't know what to tell you. All I know is I was blind now I can see. Some of you, perhaps you're blind. Perhaps you've been blind spiritually. I'm inviting you to come to Jesus and let him open your eyes. You will see. You can taste and see that the Lord is good. Thirdly, they shared. Verse 17 says, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. I recognize here on Christmas Eve, 
that the majority of people that I'm talking to are people go, who are saying, Pastor Ted, I've come and I've seen. I'm a believer. I've given my life to Christ. Fantastic. Are you sharing your faith? Are you living a missional life? Because that's what God has called us to do, that we are to let our light so shine before men that they see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. He invites us to live out our faith. And here on this Christmas Eve, look, many of you are going to be with family. You're going to be with friends. You're going to have occasion. You're going to have opportunity. And you're going to hear my words, hopefully, by the Spirit of God in your ear today saying, share. Share the good news. And finally, verse 4, they returned. What, or verse 20, they returned. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Listen, our faith is not for church on Sunday morning. Our faith is not for some, you know, pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and going out to, you know, some exercise of it. Our faith is to be lived out daily. And listen, we need to bring our faith home. At the end of the day, dads, you've got to be Christians at home. Moms, you've got to be Christians at home. We've got we to love and nurture and care for one another day in and day out. 